Hey everyone, welcome to Bible Discoveries, the weekend show. We're talking about lots of lots of cool stuff today, Matt Locke. Yeah, we are. Lots of cool stuff, because on this show, we are reading through the Bible in a year while on Bible Discovery, the weekly program. Then here on the weekend program, we take a step back and we talk about issues that pop up that we don't have a chance to talk about on The Daily Show. So welcome. And Matt Locke, why don't you tell everyone what we've read on The Daily Show this week? John 12 to Acts 8. <laughs> you were so that ready. Simple. You were so ready for that. <laughs> I could tell. I remember what it was this time. <laughs> Anyways. There was a there was a yeah. confidence in that finger point. Yeah. There was, I saw it. I saw it. It was good. <laughs> so the questions we have, though, yeah. are all over the map. They're, they are. They're they all are. over I the map. I was glancing at the sheet that yes. you gave me, and I'm like, wow. Yes, they are. They have to do with legalism. Around. Are we legalistic? Right, is one of them. And just legalism as a whole. How do you confront people who are legalistic? Yeah. Um, how do you deal with pain and suffering? And how do you pray for those who, who persecute you? All this stuff. Anyways. Anyways. We're starting off. <laughs> Normally, this would be a big question because it's a very long question. it's a long question? <laughs> yes. But it is not the New big question. New category. Long question. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the big question. But we're opening up with a very large question. And in fact, I actually cut this question down so that because there's a giant portion in the middle that was just a bunch of accusations that I cut out. Oh, he was upset. He was very upset. Okay, so, fair but, enough. But it was more so rhetorical questions like, okay. um, that I've cut out. Uh, I shouldn't say accusations. More rhetorical questions that are... Yeah, they were accusation rhetorical questions. Anyways, they're, they're both. They're <laughs> Accusatory. Both. Okay. Got yeah, it. Got you. it. All That's right, okay. Anyways, That's okay. All right, so we're going to read this. I'm going to read this to you, and we're just going to break this down. And we're going to keep going. It relates to John 12 specifically. All right. Okay? Mr. Hembry and family, I see your program from time to time. Now, I'm not Mr. Hembry. It's clearly Rod. I'm really glad that this person's angry not- at my dad <laughs> not at me. Yeah, Thanks right. for taking one for the team, dad. Yeah. <laughs> you keep on mentioning that Jesus is coming back to judge everyone on the earth. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how you justify this, scri- this scripture in John 12, 47. And if any man hears my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. I'm curious how you or anybody else can make a huge end time doctrine out of uh, Jesus allegedly coming back to judge man on the earth or world when it violates, it goes directly against what Jesus said regarding himself. Dot, 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 dot. (laughs) Accusations over. There's a lot more we could, that we could say, but again, I'm just genuinely curious how you feel justified making those statements of end time judgments when Jesus clearly and plainly said that I and the Father judge no man, no man, no man. Once I started to see this, Father dealt with me on it and burned up the chaff of my old dead belief of the old way of judgment and all of that. Can we see that the old way of morality and performance and correction and the do's and don'ts is all part of the tree of knowledge of these opposites? of good versus evil, which is all part of the curse. The new way of the one new man does not involve this old dualistic mind of corruption and death and conversion, and death, sorry, and conversion to immortality is the result once you see this. It's truly good news. Even better news is that he also said, if a man believes my word, he shall never die. It's about time somebody starts believing his word and transforms converts to immortal and transforms converts to immortality, I'm assuming, after a mind-boggling 2,000 plus years of the same old way of judgment and condemnation and physical death to the grave. Continued abundant blessings, Ken. Okay. <laughs> Can I appreciate the continued... <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the continued abundant blessings after being very angry. Yes. Uh, do you want me to just dive just, in here? Just jump in. We can, yeah. Okay. One part Ken. of the time if you want to. This is a bit wild to me, if I'm being honest, because you are taking your verse from John 12, verse 47. Um, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And then you just stop there and you've built this whole theology on this concept that Jesus didn't come to condemn, to judge the world, but to save the world. But you stopped reading a little bit too soon because if we keep going on, verse 48 says this, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him when? On the last day. 
For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So Jesus is saying, the words that I am speaking on authority from the Father is going to judge you. You are going to be judged based on if you receive my teaching or not. When are you going to be judged? In the last day. So there is an end times theology, an eschatological theology that Jesus is referencing here just in John chapter 12. Now I'm going to go ahead and assume that you have rejected the rest of the New Testament of the Bible. Because you could go to places like 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Corinthians 11, Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 19, to see a more flesh, even Acts, right? Uh, Acts 10.42, Acts 17.31, where it talks about um, Jesus coming back and what that's going to look like. So I'm just going to assume that you no longer accept that. And we will just look at the Gospels. We will just look at, does did Jesus, as record, his words as recorded in the New Testament Gospels, did he talk about how he will be judged and will come back in the end time, in, in the last day at the end of the age? And I, and I believe that the answer is, is, is yes. So let's just jump around. We'll, we'll stick in John at first because that's where you quoted Jesus's words from. So when we jump over to John chapter 5, Jesus again is talking about his authority as coming from the Father. So I'll back up to 19. We're going to read 19 to 23. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. That all might honor the son, just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Okay. Um, I want to actually continue reading here. I don't know why I stopped there in my notes, but 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. And now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to what? Execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus himself speaking about uh, a judgment. Let's jump over to John chapter nine. Uh, and I'm going to read to you verse 39. Um, Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees heard uh, near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And it goes on. But again, it's that for judgment, I came into this world. So it's not just this simple cut and dry thing that you're trying to say here, Ken. It's just, it's just not. And we jump over to Matthew. I'm going to try not to belabor these points too much. I just want to bring, bring to everyone the abundant evidence, this teaching of Jesus himself, this New Test, the later New Testament teaching on the return of Christ and that, that he will judge didn't come out of a vacuum. It came out of Christ's teaching. Okay. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 21, uh, 21 to 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, 
Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from you, you workers of lawlessness. So we see Christ talking about how in the future, he gives an example of how he's going to render judgment to people who claim to be his disciples, but who actually are not. Matthew 13, verse 40 to 43. Okay, Uh, this is Jesus speaking again. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So again, speaking of this judgment, the separation between those who are evil and those who have accepted Christ's righteousness. Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46. Then Jesus said to them, oops, I'm in 26. I'm like, that's not right. Matthew 25. Here we go. This is on the final judgment. Verses 31 to 46. Here's Jesus' teaching on the final judgment. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, Son of Man is how Jesus identified himself, and we're going to talk about that in a second, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And and, and it goes on. Um, uh, Verse 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So right there you have Jesus's teaching that he is going to judge the living and the dead, those who will have eternal life and those who will not have eternal life. Now, I'm just going to go into, I know I've been talking a, a lot. <laughs> yeah. I've just been taking no, taking good. people through scriptures where yeah. Jesus is talking about this because Ken is claiming that Jesus doesn't talk about this. It's very clear that he And does. Jesus is talking about this. But okay, then let's also talk about this concept, this very title that Jesus called himself. He called himself the Son of Man. We've actually read it a few times yes. already. And the big question in the minds of the Jews of this day would be, what son of man does he mean? Because their context, their scripture was the Old Testament, right? So we've got Ezekiel. In the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel called himself the son of man all the time. And that was a title that was given to him. So is Jesus using that in terms of son of man, in terms of like, I'm a human, I'm a son of Adam? Or is Jesus using it in the messianic sense that we see in Daniel chapter 7? Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, which would be on this page. Daniel the prophet says this in verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So there's this one like a son of man. So he's human, 
but he's also not because he's coming with the clouds of heaven, which throughout the rest of the Old Testament is reserved for descriptions of God and in the ancient Near Eastern culture of that time. And then he's given an everlasting dominion, which will never pass away in his kingdom that shall not be destroyed. So is Jesus calling himself son of man in the Ezekiel sense? Or is he calling himself son of man in the Daniel sense? And we find out that Jesus is pretty purposefully calling himself the son of man in the Daniel sense. Okay, because in Matthew chapter 24, <clears throat> Jesus is preaching about the fall of the temple and then his coming, right? Verse 30 says, then will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So that coming on the clouds is directly borrowed from Daniel chapter seven. And then as a further proof that this is Jesus's opinion of himself, we hop over to Matthew 26 when Jesus is being interviewed. He, they're trying to get Jesus crucified. So he's, he's being interviewed here. Let's see by the high priests. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 63. But Jesus remained silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. So Jesus claiming to be the son of man, a la Daniel chapter seven, uh, which has a whole eschatological. So that's how I would answer that. I know that the was a lot of talking. The first half of the question. <laughs> well, I, no, but, good. but I think that's it, it yeah. nullifies the rest well, of the question. No, I, I hear what you're saying. No, I was, yeah, because I want to talk about this next part because I have noticed a recent trend of people believing that we're going to become immortal right now and not die physically at all. Uh, there really? Been, yes. And he hints at this. I noticed a trend in how people comment uh, and, and send us emails, stuff like that. Anyways, so. Interesting. Um, Let's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to show you the, the, the hint of that. So the new way, he says, the new way of the one new man does not involve this old dualistic mind of corruption and death. And conversion to immortality is the result once you see this. Remember the word immortality. It's truly good news. Even better news is that he also said, if a man believes my word, he shall never die. So remember, we're talking about here, he's not coming back to judge anybody. We're never going to die. Okay. It's about time somebody starts believing his word and transforms, converts to immortal after a mind-boggling 2,000 plus years of the same way of judgment and condemnation and physical death to the grave. So Ken is, is under the understanding that Christ is saying we will not physically die. Like we're not going to. And no one for 2,000 years has, has understood this. And that's Difficulty, why they all died? And that's why they've died. The okay. difficulty here, and I've seen other people say that, yeah, you will die if you don't believe this. The difficulty with this, Ken, is where's Jesus right now? <laughs> why isn't he walking around here? If that well, was. Because he ascended to heaven. Well, th well, that's what I'm saying, but that's not what they're. He's, he's not, gonna he come didn't back. die, he ascended. Right. So I the, guess that's what. No, but. He's kind of going on. But if he's the new man. So no one, not even Paul, not even Peter, none of no the disciples, one. not Mary. Not James. No, no. None of them truly believed. I, I, that's what because this, they died. That's what this sounds like. So whoever, wherever this teaching is coming from, you said here, Here's, the father dealt with me on this and burned up my old beliefs like chaff. No. Which father are you, are you referring to here? Because it's clearly not God the father. That's what's scary about this. God the father's not telling you you're not going to physically die. In fact, he says you're going to embrace a lot of suffering in your life. So this is a quite a concerning thing to be saying that God himself is telling you how to deal with this and he's given you new revelation that no one else has ever seen. Nobody. 
So you need to really think about this. If you're the only one who sees this, nobody else sees this. For 2,000 years, not even Paul who was beheaded, Peter who was crucified upside down. Okay? Big names of the Christian world. James the Just. Okay? Killed. Caused the riots in Jerusalem. 8070. Caused that. None of these people are alive because they didn't quite believe in what you're saying. Right. And here's my main problem. Here's my main problem. The premise of this argument was false. So the conclusion of this argument stands on nothing. It stands on lies. Your premise was that what Jesus said about himself was that he came not to judge the world. But you took that out of context. That was in the context of their own actions against the words of Jesus would bring them into judgment. And then you ignored everything else that Jesus said about himself. So your premise is false. So you, we could just ignore the conclusion that, 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 that believing in Jesus would necessarily bring physical immortality because it's based on a false premise. But we don't even have to do that. We can disprove it based off of another teaching of Jesus in Matthew 24. Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 24, verse 9, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations. Because you don't believe me, right? No? What does it say? You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So look, Jesus told his disciples who were true disciples he wasn't trying to lie to them or trick them or deceive them. He empowered them and told them, look, you're going to die. So, like, Ken, this is really dangerous. And, and, and everyone else listening, this is why we have to keep Jesus's scriptures in context, Jesus's teaching in context. We can't just take one verse of the Bible and build an entire theology off of it because it's in intensely dangerous. We have to interpret we have to interpret the scripture as a whole. And that's what we strive to do here on Bible Discovery, not just take and we're not perfect. So I'm not saying we're we're not without our oddities. I'm sure we are. But for the best of our abilities, we can't just take one section of scripture or cherry pick pieces of pieces of scripture and develop whole, that's how cults are born. That's how this very dangerous idea is born that's just categorically untrue. No, I agree with you. Ken, whatever voice you're hearing, it's not God. I would repent of this belief. I would make this belief the chaff, the dead chaff that should burn away. That's what this needs to be. And on that note, we should move on to the next question. Okay, Matlock, John 14, right. a little bit lighter. Not really, but <laughs> different. it's, okay. a, different, it's right. a different sort of topic. John chapter 14, it's a viewer question <laughs> from right. Laura. If a person believes in God, but not in Jesus Christ, would they go to heaven? Please let me know. Thanks and God bless. Okay, so I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, there are plenty of people who believe in God. The questions yeah. are, the questions are, which God do they believe in? Because you can say, oh, I believe in the supreme God, Zeus. Um, he's God of the other gods. Mm -hmm. He's the top chief God, right? Um, but he's not this the the God, right? Anyways, so uh, and you, so I, I'm supposing then in that case, um, let's say they believe in the supreme God in the same context that we believe in God. Let's say the Jews or let's say Islam. They believe in a supreme authority God. Well, again, if you reject the Son, then you reject the Father. That's the idea here. So this really boils down to whether or not someone has rejected Christianity or not. Um, because if someone, for instance, take a, a, a person who lives out in the boons and never heard Jesus or anything like that, but they intuitively know that God is real, 
the God, and they have this implicit understanding the God of the universe is the God that Jesus Christ is, okay? But they've ne- but this is like, let's say it's before Jesus Christ, let's say it's after, they just never heard of his name. Is it possible that God will save this man? Hey, look, I don't know. I don't know for sure. God is just and he is good and he's going to judge that man accordingly. And so is it possible that's in God's hands? Like I'm assuming so, but that's in God's hands, okay? Because he's not, it's about whether or not you've rejected Christ or not. So do you believe in God and reject Christ? No, because you can't reject the Son and then also get the Father. Um, I'm going to pull up here, actually. What we can do is, maybe even John 12, what we just read. Let me just pull back to pull back there for a second. Um, John 12, let's read it, 44 to 50. Just real quick. And, uh, and Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come to the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. It's a long story short. Are you going to reject Christ? Then that's a different story, right? Um, The other thing is, the question is about just to expand this out a little bit more, the question of believe. What does it mean to believe? Because today everyone thinks the word believe is like a proposition, just a mental assent, or it's just a matter of believing in the existence of God. Okay? Well, belief is so much more than that. Belief is not just, oh, I believe that God exists, that Jesus Christ did what he did, and that this event happened. That's part of it. But it's so much more than that. You believe into God, believe into Christ. And then what does that mean? That means you necessarily follow Christ with your whole life and follow in obedience and and, uh, and he guides you. So it's not as simple of belief. It's not just something of, oh, I agree in my opinion that Jesus did these things or I agree and it is of my opinion that God exists. So what? Even the demons shudder and they believe. Yeah, that's James 2. Right. So it's like, it's really not about that. Um, it really boils down to is Jesus Christ working in you and through you? Have you repented? Have you repented? You know, right. have you have you have you repented? Have you asked God for forgiveness? Have right. you have you accepted Christ as your Lord? That's right. Yeah. And because Christ has removed the barrier of hostility between us and God, between Jews and Gentiles, is it possible that some man out there who's never heard of Jesus Christ repented to God the Father, right? And as some had some foggy understanding of who he was? Yeah, it's possible. It's certainly possible. I'm not going to say that it's not possible. So, um, but at the same time, we shouldn't rely on that as some sort of, oh, you know, we don't have to evangelize or anything like that. No, it's like you have a guarantee through Jesus Christ. If you reject the guarantee, you're guaranteed not to have eternal life, right? Um, so that's the idea there. And everyone else, these uh, fringe uh, uh, cases where they're on the outskirts of, uh, of evangelism they've never heard of, these are in God's hands, and God is good, God is just, he will judge accordingly. And on that day, you know, all of our works and our beliefs will be displayed. And um, that's a beautiful thing, because God's going to judge everyone accordingly, and everything will be transparent. And I rest in God's goodness for those people who have not been evangelized to in the past and in the future. And, and also to those who have had a misunderstanding of, what, of who Jesus Christ is, and of who God is because they've heard a false gospel or a false doctrine. And now they grow up believing, I don't like Christianity because that's what this is. Those people, okay, I, I have a soft spot for because I'm sure God does too because they've been misled in the truth, mm-hmm. right? So it's not like they're reject, rejecting Christ per se and they're not rejecting God per se. They're rejecting a false understanding of God and rightfully so, you should reject that. So they've done a the right thing. They just have the words all tangled up. So I think that, uh, again, it's a kind of a nuanced answer, but don't reject Jesus. If you reject Jesus, it's out of the question. I think that answers it. Yeah, definitely. All right. Okay, Matt, like Corey, next question. It, okay, oh. you got me? Yeah. All right. Sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this one was for you. All right. So. Let's I'm, do it. I'm just going no, for it. Go for it's it. It's for you now, Matt. <laughs> All right. Okay, John uh, 1 to 21. So The whole thing. The whole thing. All right. This is a question for you. According to your studies, this is from Paul. 
According to your studies, is the Trinity biblical? Is the Holy Spirit a person? Any verses you could provide would be appreciated. Is the Trinity biblical? Yes. It is. Is the Holy Spirit a person? Yes. So you did an info dump earlier. I where did. You, where you just like threw all these verses at people. I did. I'm not going to do that. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I, I will do that slightly, but not too much. Okay. So there's a pattern to this. Okay. So we'll start off with the Trinity. Is the Trinity biblical? I'm saying yes. It starts off, is Jesus God? Is the Holy Spirit God? And is... Um, God the Father, God, well, of course, God the Father is God. So the question is, is Christ God and is the Holy Spirit God? So first we see in Matthew 4, verse 10, and also Luke uh, 4, verse 8, that uh, Luke, they say worship only God. So the, the point here to be made is that you can't worship anybody or anything besides God. And, you know, that's said to Satan. Uh, Satan wants to make him worship in Luke 4, right? So, um, but what happens here is if you go to John 9, Verses 35 to 39, the people worship Christ. And I'll read it to you. It's actually pretty basic. I might not need to read it to you, but I'll just do it anyways. Okay, so John 9, verses 35 to 39. Okay, here we go. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And he uh, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Okay. Jesus does not say, no, 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 don't worship me. Okay. He accepts the worship, yet it's already been said by Christ himself that you should worship only God in Matthew 4, verse 10, and Luke 4, 8, 8. So you should worship only God, then people call him Lord, and they worship him, and he accepts worship. Okay, you see, even see this when he's born, right? You have um, everyone coming in bearing gifts and they all worship him. So he's being worshipped throughout his life. Okay, so, and he accepts the worship. So that's really important. Um, the other thing too is you have these I am claims, which I brought up last week, which is the uh, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life, right? I am the bread, I am the true vine, I am the shepherd, I am the dark. Keep going down the list. The point here is that the I am, that statement made, comes from Exodus with the burning bush. I am that I am. And then, he, right, when he, he tells Moses, what is your, uh, Moses asks him, what is your name? He goes, I am that I am. But you tell Israel, when you go see them, Moses, I am sent you. So then Christ is using this term, I am. And sure enough, in John, they try to stone him for saying, before Abraham was, I am. So they try to stone him. Okay, because why? He's making himself equal to God. So he's claiming to be God. You can't make yourself equal to God without claiming to be God, right? That's the whole point. Okay, so the I am statements are all his deific claims that he is God. That is the central point of John. Mm-hmm. John's making this very clear. Jesus Christ is God. I am the word, right? Uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. First John 1. So um, that is the classic proof text for mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. So John mm-hmm. 1, 1. I'll just read it for you right now, just so we got it. All in there. So the word is Jesus Christ. Okay. Here it is. John 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word is with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Okay. So, and the word was God. Who is the word? Jesus Christ. How do we know? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. That's verses 1 and 14. Okay. Now, something else can be said. You're like, well, he, you know, the son of God statement here. When he, in John 5, chapter 18, when he's referred to the son of God, okay, this is not a statement of that we say today, oh, we're all children of God, right? No, no, no. When you say you're the son of God, you're saying that you have all equal rights as your father does because you are, legally speaking, you inherit everything your father has. So you are owner over everything your father has. You own everything. Anyways, so the point here to be made is that um, when Christ calls himself the son of God, no one else is calling themselves the son of God. We only, it's anachronistic to say we're all children of God because at this point, uh, because that only comes by, you only become a child of God if you are adopted and grafted into the sonship of believers. You have to become a Christian to become a children of God. You're not just a child of God by virtue of living. 
made in the image of God, but you're not a child of God. You have to be adopted. So verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay? So people weren't like, hey, we're all children of God here. No, it just wasn't happening. Okay? Matthew 16, uh, verses 16 to 17. That's the famous one where Simon Barjona, uh, he says, who do you say, who do you say that I am? He's like, you are Jesus, the son of the living God, right? That same thing applies there. And Jesus like, and Jesus uh, praises him for that. So now we're going to keep going. Jesus is, is, now he's already called himself, we've already shown that he's being worshiped and he calls himself God, yep. right? Now other people call him God. Let's go to John 20. Try to speed up because you did this info dump. I'm like, I hope we're not, Loading it too heavily on people. So John 20, um, verses 27 to 29. This is after Jesus ascends, right? And Thomas is like, oh, there's no way. There's no way he, he rose from the dead. Not until I see put my finger in his, in his side. Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put, put, uh, put out your hand and place them in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He's not saying, oh my God. He's saying, my Lord and my God. He's calling him God. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's, and here's to me, I think, the, the biggest one to say that all of his apostles believed that Jesus was God. Okay. Romans 9, verse 5. Um, Paul just says it. So anyone who wants to deny that, that, that you know, no one believed this is a, a later teaching, whatever it is. Romans 9, verse 5. To them uh, belong the patriarchs from their race, according to the flesh, uh, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. He's talking about Israel, right? He literally says, the Christ who is God over all. Yeah. Blessed forever, amen. Okay, can you be any more clear that Jesus... I don't all, think so. Uh, said, the, Jesus claims to be God. Jesus is worshipped, which only you should worship God. And that's what he says. And then also, all of his believers claim he is God. Right? Yeah. In him, the fullness of, the, of, of all God was, was uh, willing to dwell. Okay. Now let's get to the Trinity. So Christ is God. Uh, notes for the Trinity too. Revelation 22, verse 3. Let's do this real quick. Revelation 22, oh, went too far, really close. Okay, verse 3, um, no longer will there be any accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Okay, so the Trinity, the concept here is that it's uh, three persons, right? One God. However that works, I'm not, okay, however that works. Here it specifically says, here's where you have it. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb, Christ, will be in it. And his servants will worship him. So you have two people worshiping him. Do you see what I'm saying there? You, it should be worshiping them. But it's not worshiping them, it's worshiping him. It's, it's, so it's like you're collapsing the three and one, the two and one there. Okay, there's one. 1 Corinthians 8, verses 5 to 6. Not as fast as finding these as Corey is. <laughs> That's okay. It's all those Bible drills when I was at Sunday school and youth group and pioneer girls and all that. Just the Bible drills. That's right. See, you all, know, they'd all... call out, you know, who there was actual Bible drills where they would say like First Corinthians 5 and you'd have to run in there and get. And then later on, you just kind of continued in the spirit of Bible drills when they'd say, who would like to read for me, John or James too. And you, right. whoever got there first could do it. Speedy fingers. And here's the last one for, <laughs> for the, once again, that they're of equal value for Christ and God. Um, five and six from 1 Corinthians 8. Yeah. For although there are, may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we are all things and through whom we exist. Mm-hmm. So one is from, one is through. 
but it's all the exact same. It's all identical. Mm-hmm. So somehow, so some people bore this, they call it the economy of the Trinity. You understand like, oh, they have different roles within that. Either way, they're of equal, they're, equal, they're both God. Right. Is the principle that's to be had here. Now to do your next point, is the Holy Spirit a person? Yeah, because so far you've only talked about two persons of the Trinity. Yes. You haven't talked about the Holy Spirit at all. That's right. So we know that you're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The Father and the Son are equal. You can't do that. You can't include the Holy Spirit and baptize into a creature. You're baptized into God. Sure. Right? It's God who saves. That's the principle. <clears throat> Anyways, so we're going to read John 15, 26. Okay? John, uh, go back here. John I'm getting 15. faster. Again, again, faster. Bible drills. Also, not Telling my Bible. You. Telling you. John F- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does, it does surprisingly help when it's your Bible because you're used to moving back and forth. That's it. right. It's a thing. Do you find it? It's a th- I find it's a thing. John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. Notice there. When the helper comes, is the Holy Spirit. Who proceeds from the Father? If the Holy Spirit's not a person, you would, you'd say it proceeds from the Father. He identifies him as a person. Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father? Okay? That's one. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. Uh, Matthew 28, 19. Uh, yeah, we already did that. We already did that. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. Let's do that one. And I have some other things in my mind that I don't have written down. Let's get Ephesians here. 13 to 14. Here it is. So uh, let's just start off at 12. So that uh, we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, Christ, you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, Till the praise of his glory. Again, that's a who there. So not only is Paul referred to him as who, but John is. Yeah, definitely. Yes. We see and, that in John 14, John 14 as well, where Jesus says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said yes, to you. He will teach you all things, right? Yeah. That's so important. So it's like you have this relationship. And elsewhere, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. So he's, he's comfortable calling the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. But, so the, the whole point to be made here is that there's a triune relationship that is clearly impossible for our little infinitesimal minds to grasp, okay? Yeah. Go ahead. I, I just also want to talk about one of, the, one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to intercede for Christians yes. uh, in intercessory prayer. So it's not this impersonal force, uh, like an impersonal force can't offer individualized intercessory prayer, right? And we see this in Romans 8 verses 26, uh, which says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And what's it's beautiful. Because what's so important here is that even, I know it's related to John 1 to 21. Yep. In John, John's whole point, okay? It should be, he, he, John has to break grammar, he uh, Greek grammar, yep. in order to make the Holy Spirit be a he. Because it needs to be an it, according to Yeah, because right? so, pneuma is neuter. That's right. is neuter. Exactly. So it would, it, it, proper would be it. It would be yeah. it. So John's actually breaking grammar to tell you it's so intentional that he's saying the Holy Spirit is a he. So this is why you can't just be like, oh, well, it could be a force. No, right? The whole, God indwells you. It's the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole art. That's the whole point. So if you make it a personal force, then who's in charge? You are. So I, I find it, uh, I'm perturbed with this idea that people try to make it a personal force. So yeah, it's 100% a person. There's a bunch of proof text. There's more. I actually wrote a, a Q&A on this. Is Jesus God? It's question 31. And I just kind of break down. So on the website? It's on the website. Perfect. Yes. I kind of break down in formal structure all the, a, a lot of, there's actually more, but a lot of the proof text, you know, from Jesus being worshipped, right, and mm-hmm. all that stuff. 
to help you. So if you need that text, I'll put it in the link below. All right, Corey, I yes. got a question for you. Perfect. Let's do this. Let's do it. All right, so how do I pray for those that want to destroy me? I need to be strong to do this. This is from Pat, and she is right. Okay. It is very difficult. Yeah. It is very difficult to do because there's that self-preservation, right? And then there's that issue of justice where when someone's really coming against you and trying to destroy your life, it feels so unjust. And and oftentimes it is so unjust. Um, and and look, I would I would definitely lean on what I just read back in Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 26, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do know we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So take comfort in the fact that as you as you live your life with God and as you pray, even if you're not praying the right things, the Holy Spirit is actually interceding for you and helping. I mean practically what are the practical steps that you can take to begin praying for people to begin praying for your enemies i think the answer is just start is recognize that god is with you no matter what happens no matter if their plans to destroy your life are working or whether they're not working god is with you and he has a plan for your life and as you submit yourself to god uh, and his will, and, and and by that, I just mean making him the Lord of your life and coming to him and asking him to help you and, and strengthen you and teach you. And just be honest with God. Like, I can't help you. I can't give you the power to pray for your enemies, but I know who can. I know that God can. I know that if Jesus can pray from the cross, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do, then I know that God can give you the strength to pray the same for the people in your life who are trying to tear you down or trying to trying to hurt you. That's just what I have to believe. I have to believe that the grace that, that God has given to Christ, he can give to us through Christ, right? So I would just really encourage you to um, start, to just, be honest with God in that you don't know how to do it, but that you want to begin to forgive people in your life and to begin to pray for them. Uh, and and God's going to help you do it. So just start, just pray, be honest with God. Remember that he is with you. Remember that he is sovereign over your life. Um, and remember that the Holy Spirit is with you. And and even, even when wor- words fail you, the Holy Spirit's praying for you. Love your enemies. That's like the hardest thing to do. So hard. Yeah. It's so hard. Because you have to be perfect like your father who also loves your enemies, enemies and is impartial. Right? He lets the rain drop on, on everyone. Yep. And the sun. Yep. Yeah. It's a very it's a very tough thing. And I don't know um, anyone who finds it easy. In fact, I think people, if anything, try not to do this. Uh, yeah. We, we justify it, right? Yeah. That's right. We justify well, it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We find reasons not to. So the fact that you're trying to, Pat, is awesome. Yes. And, and God will honor that. He's going to help you. He's going to grow you. For sure. Corey? Yeah. Matlock. The big question. The big question. Okay. It is actually a viewer question. I didn't mention at the beginning because I know it was kind of everywhere today. Um, Here's the question. We see in the New Testament, it's from Karen. I should have said that. Mm -hmm. Sorry, from Karen. We see in the New Testament that Jesus confronted the Pharisees and their legalism many times. As Christians, how should we confront those who are legalistic around us? When is the right time to do this? Thank you for your time. Yeah. Um... I think to can I just chime in here? I Please think, do. Okay. I'm writing notes to myself. There are the word legalism. I think is another word that's kind of like has different meanings that people have. Some people can think that like just being very logical is legalistic, or right, or even being narrow-minded, like short-sighted, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. Or just following rules. So like, oh, you you follow commands, therefore you're legalistic. It's like, well, Christ said, if you love me, you will follow my commands. So it's not about like like you follow God even when you don't understand things. So it's not about obedience that makes you legalistic. Yeah. So it's important here, I think, with this question to talk about what does it mean to be legalistic? Um, because I don't think we the term is used very liberally um, to, you know, condemn another uh, viewpoint or to say that these people aren't Christians or whatever it is. Now, there are there is legalism. But it's about getting to that so that, we, so that it can be used um, 
So, you know, I don't know where Karen's coming from. So I don't, hopefully her understanding of legalism is the accurate version and not some form of legalism that has been, you know, that's been taught because some people will do that. Uh, well, they teach like if you follow just, you just follow commands or if you have duties, that's somehow legalistic and it's just not. My kids wouldn't get up in the morning if I didn't do my duties. It's not legalistic. It's just part of the way life is. Um, but their legalism, in my mind, is a deep human problem. Definitely. Yes. And we I, like systems, right? Yeah, we like systems. And I think it comes down to if you're going to make your own laws, uh, justif- if, you, if you're justified by your own laws. And because of that, you can have two ways. You can have people who have a whole bunch of laws that they follow. And they prioritize their own man-made traditions and laws, as Christ said. And that is somehow justifying or salvific by following their own rules. On the other side of legalism, you have more of a loosening where people loosen so much because by loosening all the rules, they become very liberalized. Um, they're essentially making rules unto themselves, right? There are First rule of Fight Club, there are no rules, okay? This is the idea, is that uh, you're creating the one rule uh, to rule them all so to speak, token reference. Anyways, so I, I would say that there's, there's two ends to this legalism. I think humans are inherently legalistic um, by nature. I think it's part of the sin condition. Uh, we want to rest in our systems. We want to just want to rest in the rules. And uh, you can see this just kind of throughout history when, uh, say, um, Nazi Germany. Uh, uh, you have a bunch of guards who uh, were like, oh, you know, don't blame me for uh, for killing you know, uh, the Holocaust or for being a guard in the Holocaust. I was just following orders. Okay, but what's the moral? Uh, you don't see anything morally wrong with following these orders. So there, there is a point where you can just rest in the, the law of the land and be like, well, I don't have to think about it. I have no conscience. And that is legalistic. That is like the bad side of it. Yeah. So there's good rules mm-hmm. and there's bad rules. Just the way it is. There's good laws and there's bad laws. So I think legalism comes down to, are you, is it the right laws or not? Is, are you in the right order? Is it the right laws? Are they God's laws? Or are they your own laws that are prioritized as if they're God's laws, as if they're justifying? So I would say that is kind of at the core of what this is. Yeah, sure. But I, I think, I think whatever problem it is that you're wanting to confront someone about, regardless of that, we have to be super careful because like you're saying, these things are human problems. Yes. None of us is perfect in our beliefs. So we have to we have to be really humble, not falsely humble when we approach issue, issues like this. We have to be aware that we have blind spots and we're not um, without imperfections at the same time. Um, we shouldn't be afraid to discuss discuss issues or tackle things like false doctrines head on. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying being careful that we don't get so proud or um, condescending towards people who are mm. believing things because people have reasons for believing the things that they believe. Whether or not those are good reasons, there are still reasons. So making sure that we're not dehumanizing people that believe differently than us. They are people. They have, you know, life experiences that have led them to this place. And so you just proving it to them intellectually may not have any sort of impact whatsoever. So these are conversations, human conversations that we have to have back and forth with people. And some people may not be willing to converse with us. And and that's just a reality that we have to deal with. So making sure that we're not going in there guns blazing, thinking, you know, we're, we have the truth and we're just going to tell them what it is and they're just going to get it over. I think that's a, a really, a really big deal. I think thoughtfully, whatever issue that you're about to go in and talk to someone about, you have to approach it thoughtfully. So listening to them, you know, well, why do you believe that? Why is it that you believe this? Where in scripture, what areas in scripture have led you to believe what you believe? And then really actually listen to what they say so that you can consider those areas of scriptures and maybe present some pushback, maybe uh, take some time and look into it further, things like that. Jesus had a much, uh, you know, a, a, a very large advantage over you and I in that he is the son of God. <laughs> and so he, he, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He knows the scripture and is not going to use it to injure, injure people unjustly, right? Whereas we can do that. We can injure people unjustly with the word. So we have to be careful, not scared, 
but careful and thoughtful and loving in the way that we approach people. Because if we're just trying to prove our own ideas right, that's not loving. We are supposed to be trying to help people build their foundation on Jesus Christ. So those are some of the, the things that I would encourage you to do is ask a lot of questions about where their beliefs are coming from. Really listen to it and then see if they're opening to open to even have the conversation and then just, you know, provide some scriptural feedback. Well, what about this? What? Well, what about that? Have you ever thought it in this way? Uh, thing, things of that nature. Looking at people like they're growing yeah. and progressing as opposed to just static objects. Yeah. Because to look at them like static objects, like they're hollow, is to be legalistic. Like that's kind of like the 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 um, the viewpoint, I guess, of it. You could say is to uh, not treat people in a loving way. Like you're saying, yes. it's almost the opposite of love. Yeah. To be legalistic. Jesus conversed with a lot of people, and we're not privy. We have not been given, you know, the the fly on the wall view, unfortunately. <laughs> Of a lot of the conversations, we know he ate with sinners and tax collectors. We know he 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 couldn't have just spoken with Nicodemus. Right. You know, one on one, we're told what he said with Nicodemus, and I love that. It's so interesting because he asks questions of Nicodemus, uh, not just not just pushing on him. You know, just when we actually look at how Jesus confronted uh, and and discussed with uh, the people of his day, there's a lot a lot that we can mm. learn from that. So. No, I think that's good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's important not to prioritize, I think at the end of this, uh, our own understanding as if it's the understanding. Yes. Okay, look, there is truth. What Matlock and I are not saying is that truth is relativistic and it doesn't really matter what you believe about the scriptures. We both believe it matters what yeah. you believe about the scriptures. So right. I'm going to be crystal clear about that. There is a truth. Uh, and... Um, so, so we're not saying that, but what we are saying is that we're, you're not going to convince someone of your perspective just by telling them that. Right. And we all know that we've all had those conversations where we think, you know, naively, well, I'll just tell them what, tell them what it says and they'll just believe right. it the exact way that I believe it. And yeah. lo and behold, because they have different <laughs> life experiences and they're a different person than you, they'll read the same thing and, and, and think something different. And you have to actually have a conversation about it. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's right, because it's, if we're all inherently legalistic to some degree, what other spectrum are we on, the tight or the loose end? Yeah. Um, it, it means we're all going to handle, if you approach someone and be like, you're being legalistic. Right. Like, that's a really loaded thing to say, because you're basically being like, you don't have the spirit of God in you. Yes. Like, at the ultimate, if you think about it in the, the, the purest sense of it, yes. you don't have the spirit of God, like, or at least yeah. you're not acting like you do. Yeah. And so it's like, it's a very, like... Harsh. Or like people, people will actually say some some Christians will actually say it has been said to me before. Well, you're just a Pharisee. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing and, shuts down a conversation so quickly. And as to be that. fair, like what about the Pharisees uh, and, and and Mark twelve? Who? Uh, what does it mean? Uh, what's the greatest command? Jesus tells them the greatest command, and he goes, "You answer, good teacher, love God above all things." Right? Mm -hmm. Jesus is like, "You're not far off from the kingdom of heaven." Yeah. It's like, okay, not all Pharisees were the worst. Yeah. <laughs> we we call it Pharisaical now because it's kind of like a term, but it's kind of, I don't know, the whole point is when it comes to legalism itself. Okay, how should we confront those who are legalistic around us in a loving way, not legalistic way, in a careful way, yes, in a loving way, in a thoughtful way? Because if it wasn't for Christ loving us, we would be doing the legalistic mm -hmm. things that you might be thinking they're doing. Yeah. Right. So you have to do it in the right way. When is the right time to do this? I don't know. Whenever. W whenever. Uh, I think it's always good to engage people in a loving way. I don't think it's ever a wrong thing to do. So uh, that's kind of like the beauty of it. It's like, okay, it's not like it's a strategy or tactic. As long as you're not being, you know, on them every single moment of the day. You also, hey, to, you also yeah. just have to be honest with people. Like there's yeah. some people who aren't going to want to talk to you about it. And that is what it is. If someone doesn't want to talk to you about it, you can't force them to want to it's talk true. to you about there's it. There's so many questions that Corey does not want to talk about. <laughs> That, or, or if we're in the middle of talking about it because it's a viewer question, she has to talk about it, but she tries to make it as quick as possible. <laughs> Outing all my secrets. No. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Confer converse. You, we converse with actual people, not just with ideas. Yeah. So um, that's something to keep. That's yeah. definitely something to keep that's in right. mind. Any other things before we? Oh. God's a person. God's not a system. God's not a set of laws. He has sets of laws, but he is not sets of laws in himself. So True treat facts. people like God wants you to treat them. Like image bearers, as people. That's it. I don't know. I, I feel like everyone's growing this. Everyone will have their, their tendencies, but I think you answered a pretty good question. I think we're good. <laughs>
Okay guys, well that's all the time that we have for this week. So pop down your comments and your questions down below. Let me know, uh, you know how, how you talk to people about contentious issues. What are some of your tips and tricks? Write them down below for Karen in case she watches the show and reads through the comments. And until next week, happy reading and studying. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.